everybody to our um, seminar webinar, Ukraine's Defense of Freedom, a conversation with our partner, Aspen Institute, Kiev. This is a very, very important seminar to us, um, but also I would say to the international community. And we are very excited um, to have all of you here to today and to do the seminar together with our partner institute, the Aspen Institute, uh, Kiev. We've invited uh, fighters from different fronts today. We have uh, governmental, economic, intellectual fronts who will be presented. And we have basically three main goals for the meeting today. We want to tell you our stories, the story of each speaker. We would like to listen to the questions and ideas from all participants uh, who are attending, maybe those who will see in recording, you could address it to us. And of course, we hope to find new friends who will stay with Ukraine in our fight for Ukrainian sovereignty and freedom, Europe's peace, world's democracy, and uh, fair, secure, peaceful order of the whole world. There is a full suffocation attempt, strangulation attempt of the economy of Ukraine. Having closed and, and blocked the ports in the Black Sea and the Azov Sea, Ukraine's ability to export grain has been absolutely minimized. And with the bombings that you, you read about, you hear about, and this, that were renewed again last night across the entire country, don't be misinformed that this is a war only in the East. It is not only in the East. Withstanding all of these challenges with the, the strategic bombings of railways and the blocking of ports and the bombing of grain storage facilities, the bombing of medical depots and medical supply facilities, the Ukrainian economy has been more resilient than anyone might have expected. Ukraine has developed an app called DIA, which is extraordinarily effective. It doesn't matter where you are. You have access to your legal documents. You have access to uh, government support. And now you can have access to uh, these um, uh, small and medium-sized loans. It's also available from the banking system itself, which again, remains open. If I compare my experience eight years ago, the banking system was collapsing when we were attacked. Banks were shutting their doors. That's not happening today. The regulation of the Central Bank of Ukraine has been so substantial. The work that's been done over the eight years to rebuild and to strengthen the banking sector has been so successful. The banks are functioning. It's the same thing as local government. We decentralized our finances, our budgetary um, processes back in 2015. That decentralization to local communities, to local governments, is something that has developed a very kind of self-starting, uh, entrepreneurial, both in governance as well as in business, community-based activity. So no one is waiting for Kiev to come down and tell them what to do. Every community, every oblast, every governor, every mayor is taking responsibility and acting. So I think a lot of what you saw, the work that was done in the last eight years is critical to the strengths that you see today in this fight, in this battle, why Ukraine will be able to win. But with all of this said and done, the, gov the government is suffering a substantial budget deficit, something that is, along with the military support that you hear is needed and required every day, is the second element of support that the international community needs to provide Ukraine today. Ukraine's budget deficit is somewhere between five and seven billion dollars per month. And that's just to provide the most basic social necessities. So that's the second leg of the international support that we really need, which is financial support monthly to keep social services, to keep government functioning in Ukraine. And then the third, we need to isolate the Russian economy. 
While we're trying to maintain and restore, revitalize Ukraine, we need to end the war. And to end the war, Ukraine needs to prevail. And to prevail, we need to isolate the Russian economy. There are kind of a couple things when we talk about all of these rebuilding, renewing. I don't like to use the word rebuild because that makes it sound like we're going to put back what was there. We may wish to do that with the Mariupol Drama Theater, which has historical cultural significance. But we may not wish to rebuild the old Soviet Khrushchevke that existed that have been bombed to, to dust. Let them remain in the dust and let's rebuild a new vision for Ukraine. And so the cost of the damage is one estimate. The cost of renewing, revitalizing is quite different. We're not gonna build roads today that don't have electric car vehicle uh, connections all, all across them. And that to, for, for many Ukrainians, you know, bicycle paths are very critically important. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to need to rebuild with a view to who we are as a people and where we are today in the 21st century, not what was there alone. And so I think it's very hard to distinguish um, between uh, the, 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 the cost of the damage and the cost of renewing. The plan, the vision of what to rebuild needs to be owned by the people of Ukraine and the Ukrainian government. But I will tell you, there's no way that the, the Western world is going to support that plan without confidence building measures on procurement and transparency in anti-corruption. I'm staying to the view, this is where my, my university is, and the view we may know is the Western part of Ukraine. It was the most Western part, former Polish, then Austrian uh, part, then you have this kind of variety of the culture, Jewish, Armenian, German, whatever, the thinking like, like an arch. Sometimes they compare uh, Lviv or Lambert, German name, to uh, Sarajevo. It's a city which has a very similar story, diversity. Unfortunately, a lot of conflicts, especially Polish-Ukrainian conflict, which was probably something akin to French-German conflict or Polish-German conflict. But luckily enough, this is a very good example, probably one of the best achievements, be reconciled. We finally reconciled these Poles. And it took probably 30 years to have this kind of reconciliation. Now you could clearly see this that uh, the level of support, the moral support, economic support, because any kind of support that provided by Poland, which could be hardly imagined number 30 or 40 years ago, so to say. So this I provide as an example. This is what we're trying to do. We want to overcome the history, very much like Germans did. We want to leave the history behind. The main difference between Russia and Ukraine is in the political traditions. It's the way that we organized. This kind of civil, civil organization, civil institutions, civil resilience, all the kind of things, which is very much embedded in the history. This is because we have a different history. They say that the first victim or the one of the first victims of the war is the truth. Mm. So in this case, one of the first victims of the war is historical truth. Because basically all the claims that Putin put, put to Ukraine are basically historical. They're nonsensical, they make no sense. But basically this is about the history. I'm also director of German Ukrainian Historical Commission. And this is exactly what we do to deserve our German history, because we basically said the strategy is, the our strategy of Ukraine is to leave the history behind and to start a new kind of chapter in the history, very unlike like Russia, because Russia is, is, you know, is thinking in history in the past. Putin is thinking like a 19th century imperialist, the best quote you mean. We have to, we have to both you and us, I mean, Ukrainians and the people in Germans, people live, we have to reintegrate our stories, our history of the past. 
We have to stop seeing Ukraine in the shadow of Russian history only. Mm-hmm. It's politically correct and historically wrong. My uh, primary now task is to deal with sanctions and sanction policy. So that's why we spend a lot of time in Europe and we do understand that without uh, actually uh, solving the issue of financing uh, the energy resources and financing the war, we will not be able to continue to fight on the fields. Russia uses gas as a weapon. And this is not only a slogan. This is a practical issue which they continue to exercise with different politicians and with different countries. Now you saw the uh, consequences of this policy with Poland and Bulgaria when Russia decided just to interrupt supplies and uh, not to continue the contracts they have with Bulgaria and Poland. This kind of blackmail they used continuously. We very appreciate your readiness to sacrifice your economic interests. But at the same time, we do understand that the price now will be much lower than for future. Because the losses the world can have with the continuation of the war is much higher than any possible losses the economy may have now if sanctions can be introduced simultaneously in all countries. Definitely, we are interested in the quick uh, breakthrough of this war, and we do want to have peace and stability. However, the price matters, but this is not just an economic price. That's the price also uh, human lives and our territory. And to achieve this goal, we need to ensure that Russia cannot be in the position to continue finance this war machine. And this war machine now has more sources from the energy than for other kind of sources. That's why we continue to call European politicians to understand the necessity of sanctions, to understand the necessity of some kind of sacrifices sacrifices and to help us to fight on the fields. I had to go through all negotiations on the trilateral format, especially in 2014, when uh, Russians were against uh, our agreement with European Union and they did not want to let us sign the agreement on free trade. And I had to spend... uh, Days and days in all these negotiations, we conducted 18 rounds without any hope on success, only due to the fact that a lot of people in Europe thought that it would be useful to please Russians and to continue deal with them despite the war. So all these uh, intentions uh, to please Russians, or not to disturb them or irritate them, led to this war. So this war happened due to the fact that Putin was more than sure in his ultimate indulgency.
And that's the cause of the European policies. You need to understand the differences in mentality. And this difference exists. They don't think the same way you do because they don't believe in majority. They don't believe in values. They have absolutely different approach to values. They have absolutely different culture and history. Before 24th of February, it looked like some countries or some politicians could uh, act in a way that, okay, let's forget about Crimea. The main thing is that Russia will not go deeper, will not go further. But we in Ukraine pretty much understood that this is not the right strategy and that Russia does not have any logic source or in, in, in its activities. And as we saw uh, in their attacks on Ukraine, which started on the 24th of February, one of the biggest wave of attacks was from Crimea to get control over the southern part of Ukraine, a part of Kherson region, Zaporizhia region, Donetsk region, were occupied now by Russians because of their attack from Crimea. So as of now, it doesn't look like, you know, they can withdraw from Kherson or Zaporizhia region, but, by, but still remain in Crimea. So, I mean, talking all these issues, I think that Crimea is one of the keys, which, uh, which shall be the final, uh, I would say, stages of, of this Russian war of aggression. And uh, it is really important for our colleagues in Germany and in other countries uh, to uh, understand this notion and to feel this notion that uh, Crimea should not be understood as some acquiescence. Uh, Crimea shall be under Ukrainian flag, under Ukrainian control, because if some of the part of Ukraine is still controlled by Russia, this whole tragedy of 24th of February may May, may become a reality again and again. We need uh, weapons, weapons, and more weapons in order not to let Russians uh, continue their offensive. And these weapons include uh, everything what uh, the uh, partners can give to Ukraine, including the heavy ones. Uh, then, of course, we need sanctions, embargoes on, on energy uh, resources, of course, uh, oil, natural gas, for sure. Uh, this should be also the permanent tension on uh, Russian Federation within the work of different international organizations. Uh, they need to feel that they are not welcome there, that they are outcast. Uh, also, uh, bringing Russia to justice, in particular Russia as a state within international legal, legal responsibility, but also Russian political and military leadership for a commission of uh, international crimes, uh, namely the crimes against humanity and war crimes uh, on the territory of Ukraine. And of course, the big plan for support of Ukraine. Please stay with us, support us more. Please, more weapon is so much needed. We do need heavy weapon. We do need more sanctions. And even if you don't have influence to push for more weapons for Ukraine, please talk to people, talk to other, like uh, your friends, simply trying to tell them what's going on. Mm -hmm.